0: Welcome back, Tiger fans, to M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kiley, and this is Before the Box Score. This is the podcast about a sport in the University of Missouri that wins their body bag games. BK, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. Um, I am just reacting within the last hour or so to Kim English, who is a former Missouri Tiger in the other sport that used to do a lot of winning. Um, winning his first top 25 game as a head coach. So huge congrats to Kim English. If you're listening to this, you're a Mizzou fan, I would have to imagine. If you are a basketball fan, uh, Kim English doing some very interesting things right now out of George Mason. But that is a topic that I will allow Sam and Matt to be able to do. Uh, In the meantime, we are going to be talking about the football Tigers, which have a very interesting matchup this weekend that I know we'll get into later on.
0: Absolutely. And and just as a quick aside, as a lifelong George Mason basketball fan,
1: I would <laughs> encourage
0: you Missouri fans to leave my coach alone. Patriot, uh, Patriot up. Crap. I forget what our call is. It's okay, though. I'm a lifelong <laughs> fan. Um, let's talk about South Carolina. Uh, that was a good game. That was a game that Missouri won. I had a couple, uh, couple thoughts after going through uh, Beyond the Box score, which is up on Rockham Nation. You can take a look at it. One of the more interesting things is that we we all saw Tyler Beatty basically be the offense uh, for Missouri against South Carolina. And while he didn't do much damage through the air, um, I believe he was targeted nine times with five catches for 22 yards, which is a 55%, uh, 55% catch rate and only 11% success rate. Yuck. But we we'll really want to talk about those 34 rushes because they did turn out 209 yards, they did turn out 6.1 yards per carry, he also had a 61, almost 62% success rate. So not only did Missouri basically shut it down and just give it to him every single play, not only did South Carolina know that was going to be the plan and try to stop him and couldn't, but he was grinding yards, at least half the five yards on first down, at least 70% of the yards needed on second down, and 100% of yards on third down. He was doing that 62% of the time. Again, we know Tyler Beatty is good. We know that the world knows Tyler Beatty is good because now he's a finalist for the Doak Walker. But, like, seriously, guys, this is an incredible running back performance. These are the numbers that back that up, and it's just it has been absolutely incredible.
1: He's unbelievable, man, in every possible way. We went over some of the numbers and some of the achievements that he's had um, on Saturday. Since then, we've heard Eli Drinkwitz talk about how what would Missouri be if Tyler Beatty wasn't on this team? He said, uh, he's probably worth five wins. (laughs) And then he kind of walked it back and he was like, no, no, no. I'm not saying he's the whole team, but kind (laughs) of, kind of. He's been their rock when they need a big play. Tyler Beatty more often than not is the guy that, you know, you can count on. It's like a basketball team when you're down two in a late game situations, you've got to have. That guy that you know you can go to that can make the big shot. Like it used to be Mm -hmm. Marcus Denman. When I was in school, he was the guy. Mm -hmm. If they had a big shot that they knew they needed to make, Marcus Denman was gonna be the guy to take that. That's Tyler Beatty right now. When you need a big play, you just you give the ball to him, whether that be in the passing game and the running game, however you get it to him, he's the guy that you go to. He has 50 receptions on the season, man. 50. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, it hasn't gone for crazy yardage. He's 50 receptions right now for 340 yards. But I mean, I I haven't looked this up. He's probably going to finish the year with, I don't know, 55 receptions or so and probably 250 ish carries. (laughs) I don't know who the last running back to do that was, but I can't imagine it's happened a whole lot in recent college football history. I mean, his his workload is incredible. The fact that he's doing so still at six yards per carry is insane. He's he's worth every accolade he gets after the season, and I hope he makes all of the money in the NFL because, my God, has this been a joy to watch.
0: It really has. Uh, his yards per catch has, has dropped way, way down. Um, mm-hmm. 18, 19, and 20, he was averaging 10. 11.1 and 11.9 yards per catch and about 8 yards per per target. And that's gone down to 6.7 yards per catch this year and uh 5.3 yards per target. But he's also been targeted uh 20 more times than he has in any other season. He's got uh oh, way more catches than he has in any other season, about the same amount of yards. But yeah, that's that's whatever. That that's just cherry on top because it's the 200 carries 1,239 yards, 12 touchdowns, 6.2 yards per carry, and no fumbles, by the way. Um, Just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing production Uh, from the little muscle hamster at 5'8", 194, uh, that he can do this. Do you want
1: to well. hear the only other Power 5 running backs in the last decade to have at least 200 carries and 50 receptions? I would love to. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Huh. Okay. Patrick Laird. Yeah. Saquon Barkley. Uh-huh. Philip Lindsay. End of list. Wow. His workload right now is is up there with I mean, every one of those guys, first of all, is in the NFL currently. Mm-hmm. Uh Clyde Edwards A'Laire was a first round draft pick. Saquon Barkley was a top five draft pick. Laird and Lindsay are both in the league and carving out at least interesting roles for them. Laird last year had an, a more interesting one than he does this year. I mean, Tyler Beatty is is putting himself into rarefied air. This mm-hmm. this is absurd.
0: Uh Damian Nash had 247 carries in 2 years at Missouri. Uh Marcus Murphy ended up with 337 carries over his 5-year career, uh, 177 in 2014. So um yeah, this is this is way beyond that. Uh and keep in mind Damian Nash was averaging 4.8 yards per carry and Marcus Murphy was averaging 5.2. So a little bit different Um yeah, it's it's
1: Marcus Murphy had 50 receptions in his career. Tyler Beatty has 50 receptions this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He <laughs> high usage is the term we're using here. High usage. Um, but yeah, other we all know Tyler Beatty's good. I mean, he I think yeah, Missouri ran <clears throat> excuse me ran 69 plays on offense. 43 of them were targeting Tyler Beatty. Uh, he was the focal point. My of the, God, yeah, <laughs> he was the focal point of the first 10 plays. He was the target of the first five passes, and he had 231 of the Tigers, 439 offensive yards. So uh he's it. That's it. Uh when Missouri wants to win a game, they put it in his hands. And so far no one's been able to say. How
1: it. many carries is he gonna have this week?
0: <laughs> um I honest legitimately I mean, thirty. I, I just I'd put it at thirty and I'd probably take the over.
1: I was about to say, this is just a matter of how successful do you think the Mizzou offense is going to be, right? Because if you think yeah. Mizzou going to have more plays, it's it's almost assuredly going to be the over. If you think they're going to struggle offensively, then you take the under. Sure. Yeah, I think it might honestly be that simple.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're right. And we'll talk about Florida, but Florida does not like to stop the run. So, like, he could very well just do three or four yards, you know, 25 times for the game and call it a day. So, I well... Anyway, it it was an incredible game for Tyler Beatty, and I hope he took all the ice baths and had all the massages that he needs because he's going to have to have another big day uh, against Florida this week. The other thing I wanted to point out, again, we know the defense is good. How good were they? Uh, Well, they held South Carolina uh, to one7 uh, line yards per carry. That's how much, how much the offensive line opens up. Basically um, they held them to a 31% success rate on the ground, which is their best against any opposing run game since the 44% that Vanderbilt put up. Uh, and of course, you know, when you get it down to it, uh, South Carolina without sacks, averaged 3.3 yards per carry on their 32 carries, which is uh, that's lowest per carry average on the year by 1.5 yards. So, South Carolina is as just a flawed team as Missouri is. Uh, They are pretty good at running the ball, except when they're not. And uh, Saturday they weren't. And that was reflective in the success rates too. Missouri held South Carolina to its lowest success rates on the year, 35% in the first quarter, 28% in the second quarter, 9% in the third quarter. And those are also three of the four lowest success rates that Missouri has allowed all freaking season. So as long as South Carolina didn't get a short field, which is what they got in the fourth quarter twice, they couldn't do jack squat against this defense. And BK, I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, in it's the been awesome to watch.
1: Uh, they have legitimately turned it on of late. They're playing really well. And that was a peer program who you just made look significantly worse than you. And that, I know what the end score was. I, I get that. We'll talk about why that happened and why it needs to not happen against Florida. But that was a team that is on the same level as you. We went into this last week whenever we were talking in the same podcast, Nate, and we said, these teams are basically the same. You look at the way that they've played so far this year, look look at their struggles, look at the way that they've won. It's essentially the same resume to that point in the season. And when they played on Saturday, one team was just better than the other. Missouri was a better football team from start to finish than South Carolina. And Missouri's quarterback, just handed the ball to the opposing team a couple of times for (laughs) eh, just because he's generous, because he's a really nice guy. And that kept South Carolina in the game more than they really were. I I mean, looking at year beyond-the-box score, Missouri finished with 6.4 yards per play. South Carolina finished with 3.9 yards per play. Missouri was almost twice as good on a per-play basis than South Carolina in that game. That is not a close game. That is a game that looked close based on the final score, but it was more superficial Mm -hmm. than it was reality. I mean, you have these uh, success rates per quarter. Mm -hmm. South Carolina's for the first three quarters, 35%, 28%, 9%. Missouri beat the hell out of them for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, it got close. 56% for South Carolina, 59% for Mizzou. But for three quarters, Missouri was the significantly better team on Saturday. Kudos to them. Kudos to that defense. They deserve all of the credit. They have been much maligned for good reason all year long. They're creating havoc on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Isaiah McGuire has become Mm -hmm. a good football player. We are finally seeing Mm -hmm. Darius Robinson become the player that I thought he could be. Um, you're watching Trajan Jeffcoat make plays once again. I mean, this is this is the defense that I hoped we would be able to see at some point this year. And by the way, congratulations as well um, are deserved for a, um, a Caleb Evans who officially accepted his Senior Bowl invite today as well. Who has had a a really good yeah, sure. second half of the season at a minimum, and really all year long, he's been pretty solid when they've decided to you know put him out on the field.
0: Yeah. Evans is getting the senior bowl invite. McGuire's the sec defensive lineman of the week. Like we're just, what is this defense doing? I, I, you know, it's, it's been a great, I I know they lost to Georgia. I know how bad it was, but they've had two really good defensive performances. And really you can stretch that to Vanderbilt too. I know Vanderbilt kept it close. They had a few big plays, but you can see some of the
1: progress in that game. Mm -hmm. You could.
0: Exactly. You saw it Mm -hmm. coming together at that point. And that was a game coming off a bye. And maybe that's, maybe that's all they needed just kind of a week off to you know recalibrate but um you know we'll we'll see what happens this week but the defense earned uh, all the praise that we are heaping on it against South Carolina and then we hope that we can they can keep that up cuz uh god just what a difference it makes it's so refreshing uh so we the, the let's talk about some demerits though because we got the good stuff out of the way on Sunday, we did talk about the quarterbacks, and I was probably pretty mean to Connor Bayes, like I don't care. Um, we do know that Eli Drinkwitz has not shared anything about the quarterback battle for this week. We obviously knew that he wasn't. He has danced around it because of course that's he knows how to he knows how to act in front of a microphone, so we're not gonna hear anything. Uh he did mention that he said both guys have been doing well, so you put that together with the fact that he said that he admitted that he can't uh game plan three quarterbacks at once it's got to be two so okay officially we know that's going to be two Um, I think we know which two it's going to be but point is Connor Bazelak if you want this team to develop if you want this team to thrive if you want this team to not turn over the ball twice a game you cannot trot him out there at this point you need to put out either Brady Cook or Tyler Macon I think both of our money is on Brady Cook going forward and even if that means that you lose Bazelak to the transfer portal, which it very much might mean to me, you cannot keep him on the, on the roster and expect this offense to develop and improve. Um, you can't, you just can't keep trying him out there. So I hope it's Brady cook. And I hope that, uh, can be a very supportive, uh, teammate. Yeah.
1: I, I think we're both on the same page here. Um, I, I would like to see them use Tyler Macon in certain packages, but I think we know how this is going to go. It's it's not going to be Tyler Macon. So let's set that aside for a second. Forget what I want to see. Let's talk more from a reality perspective. Brady Cook gives you the best chance to win right now. I know that's weird to say. I didn't expect to be here either. I certainly thought that it was <laughs> going to be Connor Bazalek who gave them the best chance to win. He doesn't. Brady Cook does the same things well that Connor Bazelak does. He gets the ball out quickly. He's pretty damn accurate. He's gonna get it into your playmakers hands and see what they do after that. That's what Connor Bazelak's best skill is. He's a high efficiency player. He's going to do what the offense tells him to do. Um, If you go by adjusted completion percentage this year, which is basically how often were you accurate, accurate. And this is according to SEC StatCat, who tracks all this stuff. They have Connor Bazelak at 78% this year. That's really good. On a much smaller Mm -hmm. sample size, I must acknowledge that. Brady Cook is at 95%. Brady Cook is a very accurate passer. (laughs) He's going to get the ball where it needs to go, especially when it's close to the line of scrimmage. (coughs) I think you are going to see a similar style of offense that leaves Mizzou fans wanting more with Cook in there as opposed to Basilak. What you might not see as much of, though, is the interceptions. And that's really all I need right now. This offense with Tyler Beatty playing the way that he has and with this defense playing as well as it has of late. And they're going to struggle a little bit against Florida. They've got a good, a really good offense that's going to score points. It's just going to happen. I think you have a better chance to win with a guy who's super accurate that doesn't hand the ball to the opposing team as opposed to Connor Bazelik because Bazelik isn't giving you those explosive plays anyway. So if I can go into this one, I've got Brady Cook's legs who are much more of a threat or at least a threat as opposed to Bazelik. He's not going to hand the ball to the other team the way that Basilek has so far this year. I don't really know why this is a question. To be totally honest with you, Nate, I, I think this is an easy move. I understand that you like Bazalek and there was once upon a time that we all thought he was going to be good as he's just not, and it's not going to happen for him, whether that be this year, next year, two years from now, I hope he goes on to have a super successful career elsewhere. His future is not as Missouri starting quarterback. And that means for the next two weeks, that means next year, your future is Tyler Macon, Brady Cook, or if you want to look even further down the road, Sam Horn. I don't know who's going to start next year, but it's going to be one of those three. And your best chance to be good next year is with one of those three being really good. So I would start Brady Cook against Florida. I would probably start Brady Cook once again against Arkansas, barring something unforeseen against Florida. And I would make Connor Bazelik probably the backup because it's becoming increasingly clear they just don't Mm -hmm. trust Tyler Macon in that spot.
0: I I agree. Um, I, I think the... You said it last uh, last show, that Connor Bazelak is the exact same quarterback. It's just everyone else has figured him out. And I think that's right. And you add on top of that, uh, even Connor Bazelak last year ran it 32 times in 10 games. He's run it 15 times in nine. So not only is he the same passer, he's actually taken away <laughs> the few times that he will run the ball. So that's where we're at. That's who he is. And if he's not willing or able to run the ball and you've called a pass play, well, then you just drop nine guys into coverage because you know he's not going to burn you. Or if he starts hobbling towards the line of scrimmage, you could crash down real quick and get him. So Brady Cook is your guy because he can, he has the ability to be mobile and he makes the same kind of reads and same kind of decisions as Bazelag. Okay, that's an upgrade in the story. Tyler Macon's the you know high variance, like, oh, what what could he be? What could he do? You know, uh, maybe he could do this. Maybe uh, you don't know. And since you are playing for a bowl game, since Missouri has that annoying insistence of trying to make it into the postseason, if that's your goal, then you need to play the guy who's going to give you the best chance to win, and that is going to be Brady Cook. I completely agree with you. So we will find out on Saturday. I mean, we said this last week, and Bazilek still got the start, um, but that was before Eli Drinkwitz yanked him in the final drive, so... Um, I don't know how much that plays into the the one and no mentality that they always talk about, but seems pretty apparent to me that it's gonna be cook for the rest of the season and then yeah have cook making and horn. Uh, battle out in the spring and then try and find the best by player. the way um
1: i looked this up again sec StatCat is where i got this information most of their stuff's pretty good there, there might be some things that slightly vary compared to the stat or the, the place that you look at based on their tracking compared to others pro football focus some of these sometimes it's 21 yards versus 18 right so it, it, it can vary a little bit but based on their tracking system uh, Connor Basilak on 20 plus yard pass plays, because I know this was something we were tracking early in the season. Then we kind of stopped because his issue was less about that and more about at the interceptions, those pesky interceptions that he throws. Um, he is two for eight, throwing 20 plus yards down the left sideline. He is three for 10, throwing 20 plus yards down the right sideline. And he has attempted two passes, 20 or more yards in the middle of the field. <laughs> It's just not a whole lot going on deep this year, man. And Mm. we knew that was going to be the case. That's who he is as a player. And that's fine. You can live with that if he is super efficient and never turns the football over. But once you become a player that doesn't give that high variance deep, where you're at least getting the big time plays, the chunk plays, and you're giving the ball to the opposing team. Nah, man, can't overcome that. It just ain't there for you. It's just not there for you.
0: Yep, and when your offense revolves around Tyler Beatty doing Tyler Beatty things, you know the few times that you have to throw it, mm-hmm. you better not turn it over. And so, it hurts your defense, cool. like you
1: mentioned. Think, like yeah. the, when when the defense wasn't having a short yep. field, they did really well against South Carolina. But when you put them in a bad spot, mm-hmm. of course, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them. So uh, all of those things combined, for me, I, I don't think it should be as difficult <laughs> as they've seemingly made it this week. Uh, but I I would definitely go brady cook even if you want to say it's a little closer than that i that's fine um i i would still go brady cook
0: he's a captain he's an sec freshman of the year like multi-year starter i plus you know the whole subterfuge thing like i get making either a big deal out of it for publicity purposes or just making a big deal out of it from personal reasons but like strip all that away and just look at this season yeah it's a no-brainer
1: unless they just think brady cook stinks and I have no reason to believe that. So,
0: it it is going to be curious to see what happens because, like, when you're juggling quarterbacks in particular, <clears throat> we all know that only one can play at a time. And sometimes, when you make a decision, like benching your starter, sometimes that means you lose him to the transfer portal. Now, it, not always, not always. I mean, like I said on Sunday, just because you bench a guy doesn't mean that he can't come back. But you know, I think in this point, yes, we do believe that. But would you rather lose Cook to the transfer portal or Basilac? And, you know, from a from a long term win standpoint, you've seen what Basilak can do in large sample sizes and you've seen what Cook can do in small sample sizes, plus whatever you see in practice. I don't know what the answer is. Like which one is sucks worse to to lose. I do know that it's better to have older quarterbacks than younger quarterbacks. I also know it's better to have really athletic quarterbacks that don't turn the ball over. Uh so you know take that for what it is but it could be curious to see what the transfer portal quarterback room is going to look like if bays leaves or if cook leaves uh, although you don't have a proven backup versus you don't have your proven starter um it, it could just make the race really interesting this spring and, and maybe it doesn't matter because sam horn wins no matter what but like it you gotta admit like from a foot, head football coach standpoint it does kind of make you pause and wonder what each see i, action, I would actually go the other way I,
1: I think it's Easier to lose Basilek than it is Brady Cook, and the reason why I say that is just Brady Cook is like the perfect backup quarterback, at least from what we've seen from him so far. Where he can scramble a little bit, he's super accurate. He seems to be pretty damn intelligent. And Eli Drinkwitz has mentioned that that's not just me observing that. Drink has said like one of the qualities that he loves about Brady Cook is how how intelligent he is, both as a human and also in terms of his football IQ. So that stuff all plays into being a really good backup. We also don't know what his potential is as a starter. Whereas a guy like Connor Bay's, like, I'm pretty sure I know what his potential is as a starter. And some of the things that he does poorly, I I don't know if that is exactly what you would want coming out of your backup quarterback if you needed to replace somebody. So for me, the guy that I would rather keep on campus, if that's what it came down to and it very well may, you're right. This is, the one position on the field where you can only play one guy more often than not. So you're probably going to lose one of those two this off season. just realistically speaking. Um, if for, for me, I would, I would rather try to keep Brady cook if that's what this decision comes down to. I mean,
0: And there's nothing saying that both don't transfer, but like that's a whole different can of worms. Um, it's just, it's just different. It's just different. I, I, I would personally want to keep cook. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, but i know college football coaches value different things than we do so i don't i don't know exactly where that stands but to, for both of us this is a very easy decision i think we can both agree on that um let's talk about something that doesn't make a lot of sense a decision that's very uh curious at best so if you all have been following uh, following us on twitter following the rockin Homepage, you saw that we got a commitment. Missouri got a commitment uh, a couple days ago. A defensive end. uh, His name is Javian Gill. And uh, he committed to the Tigers. He is, what, 16th commit uh, for this class. Here's the curious part. Yeah, he's a JUCO kid. Okay, whatever. He's a two-star JUCO kid. And not only that, but he's a two-star JUCO defensive end. So... You're sitting here going okay well we know we need some tackles and you know, we lose two at the end of this year we'll have four technically five coming into next year um but it'd be nice to have kind of an older guy in there since you know most of the tackles are pretty young well jv and gill's a defensive end and not only is he a defensive end but he will be coming in with the same classification as Jatorian Hansford, Trajan Jeffcoat, Isaiah McGuire, Daniel Robledo, Cannon York, Realist George, and Darius Robinson, same classification, two years to play. So you're not, you're you're adding to depth that already exists, and you don't need. Um, you're not breaking up your classes because he's the same age as basically everybody else on your defensive line, and he is a two star. Um, now two stars can be pretty good. Obviously ask Charles Harris. I ask Michael Sam, ask Sean Weatherspoon and Denario Alexander. Okay. But BK, you broke down his film and um, what do you think?
1: I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I wish I could give you something else, but I don't get it. Uh, sometimes you go into these and you're like, you're ready to be surprised, right? Because when you see a when you see a commitment like this, it took everybody by surprise. No, Nobody knew this was coming. That includes the people that cover recruiting even more at a high level than we do. Right. We, we see a commitment. We're like, oh, OK, that's interesting. Um, we we cover it and we we try to find out where that person is going to fit. But normally you, you've got a pretty good heads up on, you know, who they're looking at and where that person could fit in if they decide to commit. I didn't know who this individual was. Before the last couple of days, legitimately had never heard of him. And then he commits and it's like, OK, um, it's interesting. It's a it's a third year Juco guy. And it's a little bit of a red flag, but, you know, may, maybe slow developer. He went to UCF, didn't work out in the spring ball and decided to transfer back to his Juco. All right. It's a little weird, but, you know, UCF had a coaching change. So maybe that played into it. I I could see that. Plays defensive end. He's got a lot of defensive ends, and many of them were guys that we were really high on coming into the year that were in last year's recruiting class. It's a little strange, but, you know, he's 255 pounds. Maybe he can put on a little bit of weight, and he could move into defensive tackle. No, it doesn't sound like that's the plan. Okay, well, let's watch the film. Maybe he's a guy that just, for whatever reason, went under-recruited, and that's why it was USF and who was the other team that was in on him um i forgot who the other one was but similar level wasn't like smu or something like that something something like usf and coastal carolina those were the other teams that yeah, were in that's right. on uh, on gill i went and watched the film man and listen like i'm not a pro at this but i i'd like to think i've watched a good amount of football there's just not a whole lot there normally you can watch film. And even if you don't necessarily agree on the evaluation of a player, like there's been guys that I watch and I'm like, "Eh, I don't really see it, but I could kind of see where if you squint and you cock your head a little bit to the other side, like I could see where they they would see that this would be a good ad. I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. I desperately hope this guy gets on campus and he is just a beast from a zoo next year and he Mm -hmm. comes in and he wins the starting job and this guy is getting penetration and he's holding up well against the run and he's holding the edge and all of these different things and he's just the perfect technician once he gets the right coaching it's technically possible that 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 could happen this is the single most puzzling recruitment and commitment that i've seen so far under eli drinkwitz almost Mm -hmm. every other one I can see the rationale for, and there is a plan for it. This one came out of nowhere. It doesn't fit positionally, and he does not fit at all with any of the players in terms of the athletic profile or uh, the, frankly, pedigree that they are taking. It just doesn't make sense. I I like following the plan, and they're, the the plan, I I just don't get it here.
0: For what it's worth, um, Al Davis is the interim defensive line coach. To my knowledge, this is the first guy that he has offered. And so he's also the first Al Davis signee. I don't know what that means for his employment with the staff long term. Um, I don't know if this was someone he found or if this was someone the staff was looking at and just he he went after it because he was a defensive line coach. I don't know. I just know that he was the main recruiter. But when you see that the interim guy is the guy who offered and all that stuff, it makes you wonder like, okay, what, yeah, what, what are we doing? Because even the lower ranked guys that Drinkwitz and this staff have gone after have made a lot of sense because they've worked out. Dylan Spencer was starting at offensive line his first year. Chance Looper, well, at the beginning of the year, was a go to receiver, it was a burner. Last year, he got that 79, 70. 70 Yard pass against lsu like okay got it and in 2021 you know real is george yeah he was a juco two-star but like he was a defensive tackle he's a wrecking ball with knives
1: And and that one made sense. Like I I understood what the, what the thought process was there. This was a dude that has the pedigree. He was a five star fullback and he went to Miami. It didn't work out for him there. He goes to a Juco. He doesn't have a season. So there's like no film on him whatsoever. And you're taking a flyer on a guy that may or may not work out, but he's got like one or two years left. Well, he fills a a need. He He fills a need. Absolutely. Taking a three
0: year project at a place at need makes sense. Taking a two-year project at his place of death does doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so so you know this roster better than I do. Who's leaving then? Right? Are you are you telling me that, you know, uh Trajan Jeff gonna declare early? Or, you know, someone's gonna transfer, like Jatorian Hansford's gonna transfer or Trajan Ford. Like, is, is that what you're telling me, staff? Because you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Defensive ends on the roster right now who can come back. And you just took another. So what what are we doing? You have four defensive tackles who are coming back next year. You couldn't, couldn't get a defensive tackle? You know, I, I understand that you want a guy who's proven, um, you know, who can step up immediately, but like – this isn't the guy. He hasn't shown it yet. He hasn't shown it yet. And I know we're, we're, you know, we're plebes, but like, gotta be something. It's also I would much rather take a Dominique orange. who's like toxic on the <laughs> recruiting trail right now. Who's got five years to develop over a guy who's got two. Like it just, it blows my mind. BK.
1: It's also just a weird trend that has taken place. Like when I watched Ben key, I was like, uh, I don't know. really See what they're seeing here, but uh, all right, maybe, maybe. And he had a cool story and like seemed like a good dude and an interesting kid. Like, okay, I, I can at least buy into that. But on the field, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And guess what? It just hasn't worked out for him so far. Robledo was kind of the same thing. You look at the body and you're like, okay, you know, he's it's kind of the prototype when it comes to what you would like at a, at a defensive end spot, but. There's really no production there, and it, it didn't seem like that was going to be something that made a whole lot of sense. It, it felt kind of Chris Turner-ish. Like, that was the upside play there, was him basically becoming Chris Turner. And I feel the same about this one. Like, even if you get something of substance out of JV Gill next year, or the year after that, I think you're looking at Chris Turner, where he doesn't really do a whole lot for you. And it's less about taking that guy as a scholarship and more about, okay, if you take him as a scholarship, you're going to be incentivized to put him on the field. And that's where the opportunity cost comes in. I would just rather see guys like Jeff Jeffcoat or Hansford or McGuire or walker or ford or jones or the other walker or montgomery or one of the defensive ends that's coming in next year honestly i would rather see jalen marshall who is a freshman coming in from the kansas city area who plays Mm -hmm. a similar style but is better at it already than jv and gill Mm. just put him out there if you feel like you need this kind of a player at defensive end so that that's kind of where I'm at on this. It doesn't make any sense to me. I hope that it works out, and I'm not down on this staff by any stretch. I know we've just spent, what, the last 10 minutes or so uh, <laughs> bashing on a, a commit that they've got when they have a, a legit top 20 class in the country. This is not me saying the staff doesn't know what they're doing, but it is one scholarship in what has previously been a, a, a staff that's done a really good job of managing scholarships where it's just like, oh, what what are we doing here? What what is the plan with this one? It it's just kind of puzzling.
0: This this is a move that you make when you have stripped the program down to the studs, and you need to get you got to bring in your guys. This this is a Barry Oda move. Yeah. Okay. When in 2016 he flushed out a bunch of guys and tried to bring in some new ones and just went JUCO heavy. You don't need to do that heading into year three, my dude. Like, especially at the way that you recruit,
1: you don't, you don't. This is O'Shea Clark. You don't need to do this. They missed out on. Oh, God. Yeah. Ten different receivers, seemingly. I think it was only two, but they missed out on a few different receivers. Basically at signing day, they end up going out and they get this guy named O'Shea Clark. And I got to be honest. I kind of understood that one because he was unbelievably fast. He never played it down for Mizzou. I don't even know that he made it out of Summer ball. He ended up having no, some kind of issue. He,
0: O'Shea Clark is my favorite uh, Missouri player, maybe, of all time. <laughs> because he showed up on campus day one. Hour one, day one. And said, nah, screw this. And he left. Like, he didn't even move his stuff in. He's like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm out. Literally five minutes of being a Missouri football player it's a fantastic story
1: um that dude, that dude was like crazy fast and you could see what they saw and he was, so in he was him. a track guy yeah. Um uh, it just didn't work just didn't work but this one i i don't feel that way by the way apparently o'shea clark is at blinn college now which is uh formerly where cam newton played his football at the juco level so just in case you're curious, goes.
0: so o'shea clark cam newton um I'm going to, I'm going to write a story about this probably in the off season when we're not consumed with actual games, but I don't think Juco is a reasonable recruiting pipeline anymore. It used to be back in the day that if you were, if you're going to the Juco, you had one of three things basically, right? Number one, you committed to a power five school and it didn't work out and we didn't have transfers back then. You had to go down to the Juco route, play a season there, and then you could come back up. That was one of them. Number two is that you couldn't cut the grades coming out of high school, um, so you went the JUCO route to get your grades up, and then you went to your Power 5 school of choice. Number three is that you're a little too slow or a little too short or you know just didn't have the football IQ um, you know, to, to cut it at that level, and so you kind of basically just practiced more at the JUCO level, honed your skills, and then made the jump up. So those were the reasons why you went to JUCO. Most of those reasons right now, you can just skip the middleman and just get the guy from the transfer portal. You don't need to go to JUCO. You can sign with a Power 5 team or a G5 team or an FCS team and play real games. Real games. Sorry, I know JUCO, you are real. I don't mean to be throw a (laughs) pejorative at you, but like you know, games that people pay attention to. Um, You could do that at lower levels like a G5 or an FCS, and then thanks to the transfer portal, you could just jump on up. Think Kiki Chisholm. Think Connor Wood. You don't need to go the JUCO route. So your JUCO pool, I feel like, is just getting shallower and shallower. And there's not enough good players to plumb that pipeline. And rather, instead of taking... And again, we're being incredibly mean to a guy who wants to play for our school. I'm sorry, JV Gill. This is nothing about you. Just like overall, I would much rather take an FCS guy who wants to make the jump up. I would much rather take a G5 guy... Who is looking to play in the sec then take a juco defensive end with two years left. I would much rather take a proven guy at a G5 or an FCS level with two years left, bring him in because I've seen what he can do against really good competition. It's just to me, juco is an antiquated way of recruiting. And I know Missouri has taken one in almost every single recruiting class since 2001, but I just, I feel like it's antiquated and I don't, I don't like it.
1: I get where you're coming from. I think I tend to agree with you. I think this is more of an off-season talk because I think there's an extended conversation about this as like a phil- uh, philosophy for how you feel as a staff and where you're going to spend your resources. But mm-hmm. the way that the transfer, port- for transfer portal now works, I think it has changed the interest level that I have and that I would assume most coaches should have in the JUCO level. Because you can now go and, I mean, Missouri's taken advantage of this, right? You mentioned Kiki Chisholm, Chuck Hicks, um, Connor Wood, who is now starting for you on the offensive line. Missouri has taken advantage of the fact that these guys are immediately eligible. Mookie Cooper, um, I, I think everybody right now is looking into the transfer portal and hoping that Antonio Doyle, the former St. Louis recruit, mm-hmm. is going to come to Mizzou. Go that route as opposed to picking up Javian Gill at the JUCO level because – a, they've got a much higher pedigree. Like, we see Chad Bailey on the field now. Why Why did we want to see him previously? Because he was a four-star recruit, man. We had no idea mm-hmm. if he was going to be good or not. But this is what it can look like. This is what the upside is if that guy gets on the field and plays well. Well, same thing could be true for Antonio Doyle. Meanwhile, what is the upside for a guy like Gill? It's maybe to be Chris Turner those are very different upsides and you're, mm-hmm. you're making gambles on all of these, right? And if I'm going to do like a, a five leg parlay versus something that is going to be a singular bet, I want that parlay to hit big man. And that's what some of these transfers are. So I, I would go the, the route of trying to find these upside plays and you just really don't find those in Juco anymore. You really don't.
0: Well, we'll see. Uh, again, Jamie and Gill, we're pulling for you. I want you to be a total badass and beat out all of our four-star baby defensive ends and rock and roll for two years. I just I haven't seen it yet. That's all. Um, so let's go to the from players of the possible future to players of the very near past, uh, because it's senior day on Saturday, and uh, from what Drinkwitz was saying is that. There are a couple guys who are still mulling uh, doing the walk at the beginning of the game, you know, when they make the tunnel and the players come out and, you know, you applaud all your seniors. Um, he says there's a few that are like, maybe do it, maybe won't. Kind of depends because they haven't decided on what they're going to do yet. And But he said right now it's 24 guys, 24 seniors that they're going to honor at the beginning of the game on Saturday. So, BK, let's play a little game. Let's play get to 24. Um... We know we know for sure there is a class of guys who have to leave. They cannot play anymore. They use their COVID extension. They are done. Those guys are Dawson Downey, Kiki Chisholm, uh, Micah Wilson, Mike Maetti, Chris Turner, uh, Akil Byers, Kobe Whiteside, Blaise Aldridge, Chance May, uh, Allie Green, Mason Pack, and Grant McKinnis. All of you have to go. No matter what you choose, you are done, 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 done. Then you've got, in my mind, four guys who should leave. Tyler Beatty, Daniel Parker, Case Cook, and a Caleb Evans. And with Evans accepting yeah, the Evans senior Evans is bowl, going, Beatty's going,
1: my... we can just go ahead and cross those guys off.
0: Right. So we're pretty good about that yep. one. The Cook, ugh, on the fence, but like they're, they're gone. But if we count all those guys I just listed, that's 16. So we got to get to eight. You got to get eight more. And I know walk-ons are part of that, but like from the scholarship guys, BK, any thought on who the other eight might be?
1: So we're talking about like Simi Bakari, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. He's on this list. Um, Bannister would technically be eligible, but we've talked about that before. I think he's, I, I would think he would come back next year. I would. Yeah. Um, Hyron White, I th- think he was pro. I-, I think he comes back.
0: Oh, really? Okay,
1: I don't see why not, right?
0: I don't know what his pro talk has been. None but like, oh, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> come back.
1: um, Zeke Powell. I would think he probably transfers.
0: Oh, you really think so? That would be the second transfer for him.
1: I mean, he's not playing. I know. They were down to their, what, third right tackle last week, and he didn't get into the game. So what's the upside of staying at this point?
0: Uh, Bobby Lawrence and then, yeah, Connor Woods. So, yeah, probably.
1: Yeah, I, I would think he would be on my list of graduating and transferring elsewhere.
0: Oh, Sean Kading and Jake Hoffman, the kicker, kickoff guy and lawn snapper, they have to go, too. So
1: so that gets uh, us to 18? That's 18, yeah. So then with these two guys, Bakari and Powell, so far, we're at 20, so we need four more. 20. And we're going to the defensive side of the ball. You didn't mention Key, right?
0: No, but he graduated, so he hasn't really played either. Yeah. you could just call it a call I it a career. think
1: we can go ahead and say, uh, thank you for your services, sir. Yeah. Uh, maybe Robinson? He hasn't really I was played say a Shirley whole Robinson? Lot. Well, he's been injured. Yeah. I think they've found options though there that are younger. Stacy Brown, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know that he's a part of their future. I like Sean Robinson, so like if he wants to stay, I got no issues mm-hmm. in doing so, but I would say that's probably one. I would say Reales George might be another. I would probably keep him just as depth at defensive tackle because I think they could use it I'd right really now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably it, man. And then I I do think Parker and Cook end up going.
0: That was my thought, too.
1: I would keep Mm -hmm. Cook around, but... I mean, he's been here for a while. Yeah, I think he's been here since the uh, Reagan administration, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken.
0: I mean, if you want to look to walk-ons that could fill this out, I think Joe Britton has to go. And you could see like a Ben Langston or a Steven Benson. But, I mean... I don't, I don't know if walking on Saturday means that they are for sure leaving, but it certainly means that they are thinking about it. So whichever 24 get their name called or whichever ones get their name called on Saturday, we have a, you know, probably in 65, 75% chance that they're gone. Um, other than the ones who like have to leave and should leave like those, the other, you know, eight, six or eight. Those are the ones that you want to look for. So I'm with you on Ben key. I do think Sean Robinson probably leaves. Um, but you know, hey, for any of these guys, like, hey, come on back if you want, but like if you also if you want to just call it because you graduated, and like, do it, man. Go 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 be a former athlete somewhere and be a kick ass insurance salesman because you're huge and you got <laughs> you're an athlete. So, you know, make it happen. <sighs> so but yeah, hey, congratulations, seniors, by the way. Like you all this this graduating senior class, when did they come in? This would have been 16? 1, 17. 17.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They've been through some stuff. That's,
0: uh... Woo. 17, they went 7 and 6. 18, they went 8 and 5. 2019, they went 6 and 6. 2020, they went 5 and 5. And then whatever happens uh, this year, so...
1: Well, think about Daniel Parker Jr., for example. Like, that dude was part of the Tiger 10. He's the only one that decides to come to Mizzou. He commits to Barry Odom. Obviously, that didn't quite work out the yeah. way he was hoping. <laughs> um, he plays for two years under Odom and then plays a couple of years under Eli Drinkwitz. Never really great football here at Mizzou. Um, he's played with multiple different quarterbacks at this point in time. What is it? Is it three? Three. Basilek, the last couple of years kelly bryant. um sean robinson early last year kelly bryant did he have one year was that final year of uh final
0: year of lock yeah
1: of lock in 2018 mm-hmm. so yeah it, it's been eventful man it's been an eventful four years four plus years for uh for our guy daniel yeah. parker jr
0: and hey, kudos to him for sticking it out like that's mm-hmm. uh Oh, Michael Wilson, who started out as a quarterback. <laughs> uh, Michael Wilson. I love that he took a snap on Saturday. Like, under center mm-hmm. and everything. Like, that was great. Um, But, yeah, congratulations to the seniors. Obviously, you know, you guys seen seen a lot and you stuck with the program. We appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, you all do well in, in all your future endeavors. But let's talk about the game real quick because we got Florida coming on up. Uh, to the to the frigid north of 57 degrees and rainy apparently on Saturday. <sighs> BK, I used the term "checked out" I think three times in my preview. I don't know if that's true or not. I do know that they gave up 530 yards and fifty two 530 yards and fifty two points. I should say to Samford, Samford. So I,
1: not Stanford. If, just for anybody that may if, have misheard, the, Samford with an M. That plays in like the they FCS gave up 52
0: to Stanford. That is also equally bad by the way, but um, Stanford can't score on anybody unless you're Oregon,
1: but this is, uh, do you have this right? They are 49th. Samford is the 49th best FCS correct. team. Yes.
0: Fourth best FCS wow. offense, 116th worst best, worst FCS defense. So very middle of the pack. Yikes. But, uh, yeah, Florida is here without a defensive coordinator. They fired him two weeks ago. Kind of seems like the defense uh, doesn't seem like maybe maybe it wasn't the defensive players uh, who were listening to Todd Grantham. Maybe that might have been the issue of just the players in general because, God, they just gave up 52 to Sanford. So I I don't know what to think about this game because I don't know what the, the mental space is. You know, Dan Mullen's out here saying that it was a good good college football win on saturday which yeah it's tough to win a college football game uh you're also florida you should be doing that a lot i don't know why why it's such a big deal but you know whatever um i know their defense is terrible i know their offense is very good i know that missouri's defense is getting better i know missouri's starting a new quarterback so i literally have no idea of what's going to happen in this game bk do you have any read on what's happening here
1: not really um i I mean, my my only read is that Missouri is going to be able to score points regardless of who they start at quarterback on Saturday. Florida's terrible. Just god-awful defensively. South Carolina, the team that Missouri just mostly shut down outside of when their quarterback handed the ball to South Carolina and said, here, free points. Um, They scored 40 against Florida two weeks ago. LSU, who is not very good this year, scored 49 on them uh, in mid Mid October at this point. This was almost exactly a month ago today. This Florida defense stinks. Missouri should should score thirty plus points. I think the over under right now is sitting at like seventy. Um, I, that that seems right to me because Florida's gonna score points as well. That offense is really good, man. They 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 have some explosiveness on that side of the ball. I think I favor Missouri. Th- this is a game that is at home. It is against a team that appears to have legitimately quit on their coach, and I don't blame them for doing so. Mm-hmm. He's a schmuck. But I just don't know if they have one last that's, stand in yeah. them. I that's think that's it. my biggest question. Do they have one more stand in them? Because they're more talented. They're a better football team than Missouri when they play well. They beat Tennessee earlier this year, 38-14. Tennessee's pretty good. So they they nearly were able to take down Alabama. This is a team that early in the season, people were like, whoa, okay. Maybe they're going to be the SEC East like contenders that are up there with Georgia. That game could be a lot of fun. And then Georgia broke them. I think Mizzou wins. But it really just depends on which Florida yeah. team shows up, man. If it's the one that played against Tennessee and Alabama, they whoop on Mizzou. If it's the team that showed up the last four weeks, I think Missouri beats them by 10.
0: Yeah, I... I have reason to hope. Well, Emory Jones is a great mobile quarterback. Damian Pierce is a great running back. Malik Davis is a great running back. Like, you know, we're scared of that sort of thing. At the same time, Florida really only runs on passing down situations like that. They like to throw it when it's, uh, when they're ahead of the chains, like to run it when they're behind, it's kind of a inverse of what you would assume. Um, but Emory Jones really struggles, and really Anthony Richardson too, struggle at deep ball passes. Like, they keep most of their stuff kind of right, like Connor Bazelak. In fact, Connor Bazelak has better uh, adjusted net yards per throw than Anthony Richardson does. Like, Anthony is at 5.7. Emory Jones is, barely, is just a little bit over 7. So, like, they keep it really close. They rely on their receivers who are excellent. Justin shorter, Jacob Copeland, Xavier Henderson, Moore, uh Moore, uh, Rick Wells, Trent wintemore Like they rely on them catching the hook or, you know, the, the crossing route on mesh and just turning it up field and going being better athletes than the secondary. So this isn't like a crazy offense that, that spreads you out and, and forces things downfield. They just, they're either.
1: It's not oh, Tennessee. God, you're right. well,
0: They keep everything close to the line of scrimmage. And we saw Missouri handle a poor man's version of that offense last week with lesser athletes. Now, Mm -hmm. pretty good athletes in the receiving core, but still lesser athletes overall. Um, Florida's offensive line is pretty good at keeping away sacks, but they can't open up holes for their running backs to save their life. So, I don't think you're going to see Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson or whoever's the quarterback get pressured like Missouri did against uh, Jason Brown, but neither does well with pressure and they don't take deep shots. So if you put nine guys in the box, you press your corners up, like that's probably going to be your best bet. Yeah, you're going to get beat a couple times, but like this is an offense that you can beat despite the fact that it's really good. It's just yeah, it just depends who's going to show up. Because the offense can score points no matter what, it, it's just how is the defense going to react to the best offense left on their schedule?
1: I'm really intrigued by this game. I think this is the one that Missouri needs to get. Like it, if ever you're going to be highly motivated as a football player, this is the game to be. So you're five and five on the year. You started out the season and things just didn't look like it was going to go go well when you end up not being able to squeak out that win at Kentucky. You lose in overtime at Boston College, just destroyed at home against Tennessee. You feel like all hope is kind of lost at that point in time of a bowl game. And I know bowl games don't mean what they used to. It'd still be kind of cool to watch Tyler Beatty one last time. I would enjoy that. I think it's cool to be able to watch a Caleb Evans one more time in a Mizzou uniform. I know he's new. I know he's a grad senior, but He's a lot of fun to watch, man. He's a good player. So I would like to watch one more game of this team together and for this team to get another month of practices under Eli Drinkwitz. And the only way they can do that is probably by winning on Saturday. Yeah. So you got to be able to get that one for this group of seniors. It's senior day at home against a team that has quit. You might be able to fire Dan Mullen, by the way. God, if they lose on Saturday. Oh. I think there's a real chance he gets let go. So all of the motivating factors are there for you. You just got to go take it. You just got to go take it from them.
0: I want to ask you a question. Um, If Missouri is eligible for a bowl,
1: do you think Tyler Beatty plays in it? I would advise him not to. Okay. Like if I I was his agent, I would tell him, Tyler, you have accomplished everything you need to do in college. You are going to be at a minimum a third round draft pick. Mm -hmm. The only thing at this point that can hurt your stock is you getting hurt before April. Mm -hmm. Do not go out there and play. And the only way you really do that, at least the the way that you have the biggest risk of getting hurt, is by going out there and playing in what is for him a meaningless bowl game against, you know, some Eastern Michigan middling group of five team. Yep. Don't go do this. If I know anything about Beatty, though, I think he might do it. <laughs> so here's like, a
0: situation where I see him doing it. Counting bowl games, Devin West is the single season rushing yard leader with 1,703 American yards. Currently,
1: Tyler Beatty. 1703.
0: 1703. With three mm. games with potentially three games left to go, Tyler Beatty is at one, two, three, nine. 1,239 yards. So with potentially three games on the table, he would need about 500 more yards to be the single season rushing yards leader in Missouri history. He could do that. I don't know the guy. I feel like he would want to do that. I mean, obviously, you know, Florida shuts him down for 50 and and Arkansas gives up 70 and it's like, okay, screw it, Whatever but you're probably yeah. not winning those games anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I think if he's close, I think he would have a personal interest in playing. If he's not close, and I'm saying like he would need 250, 275 yards to get the record, I don't think he plays. And in either situation, I don't blame him because really I just want him to get that bag.
1: Yeah, I, I would advise him not to no matter what. Like if if I was his agent and I was just invested in Tyler Beatty earning as much money as possible in the NFL, I would say do not play in the bowl game. It makes no sense for you to do so. If you are playing in a a really important game, you were going to the college football playoff, whatever, go play. Uh, Go do your thing. This is what you came to college for. If you're playing in the... uh, idaho potato bowl or whatever it ends up being the godaddy.com bowl like the no don't don't, don't play in that yeah. so i don't know what he's going to decide to do i would like to see him as a selfish fan who just wants to watch him play one more time because he's awesome but uh yeah i i would probably say no but he gets to make these decisions if they are able to win on saturday right. against florida right. and by the way if they win this game against florida I'm not saying it's a successful year. Pretty close, you know. If if you're able to get to six wins, you're gonna look back on it, and it's kind of like one of those Barry Odom years where, you're like, man, they were so close to being able to be eight and four. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times we did that with Odom, but I would have to imagine it was at least it was two. A
0: lot. Yeah.
1: And you look back on it, you're like, God, they were they were like two plays away. No. they were right mm-hmm. there. And that's the case this year. If you were able to pull that one out at Boston College, and if you found a way to win against kentucky man, this would have been a really successful year with a win on saturday against florida but as it stands and knowing the way that those went i would say you just meet the threshold of what it was required for you to feel like you took at minimum not a step backwards Yeah, you were able to hold your ground as a program and you have a good recruiting class coming in and you feel like you're still taking steps forward so yeah. that, that's what this game to me represents
0: i thought seven and five was the ceiling I thought six and six would be fine after Tennessee. I was like, Oh God, we're, we're winning three games and that's it. But you know, here we are. We're at five and five. So, um, it's on the table. That's, that's a huge improvement from where we were a couple of weeks ago. Do you have a score prediction for this Mm. weekend?
1: Man, I'm going to take Missouri to win it. I don't feel good about it because I just don't know like you said I don't know which Florida team's gonna show up, yeah if Florida decides it wants to play and it's motivated by the way, it's probably gonna be pretty cold on Saturday if Florida decides it wants to play and it's highly motivated they're they're gonna win this game. I'll take Mizzou. I think this gets pretty high scoring I think they win it forty one to thirty four hmm. at home, okay high scoring. They win it straight up against Florida, and they are officially bowl eligible as of Saturday.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting fact. um, This is week 12. Florida has kicked two field goals all year. My God. Two. Yeah, it's it's so annoying that they only score touchdowns um, because their offense is so good. So I obviously I think that their score is Maybe gonna
1: I'll go 4135. I was gonna say
0: make it make it divisible by seven. Unless you assume that Missouri blocks an extra point, which is totally possible. I think for me, I think it's gonna be thirty-eight thirty-five. Mizzou. Oh, I said it out loud. That's gross. Uh I just uh I don't know where Florida's mind is, but it doesn't seem to be in the right spot. So I'll say thirty-eight thirty-five. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. So, any last thoughts, BK?
1: I don't think so, man. Looking forward to this one. It's going to be fun. Uh, This is a Florida team that I hate. I really dislike Dan Mullen. There is nothing that is redeeming about him as a man or as a football coach. And so I am very curious to see how Missouri is able to do against him, and I very much would like them to win.
0: He is a crybaby turd, and I hope that he... I don't know. I hope our team just beats his ass. That's all I want. So we will find out on Saturday what happens. Uh, God, I hope. uh, You know what? doesn't matter. We will find out what happens. That's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. You can listen to BK on the radio. 101 ESPN in St. Louis. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm I z
1: o u.